something that almost every child has participated in is the activity of racing other children. And whether we realize this or not, that activity is, is, a, is a pressure point moment for a child. When another uh, friend calls out on the playground, let's race. Or the PE teacher says, everybody line up. We're racing today in PE class. Your older sibling says, I'll race you. In that moment, there's this, this level of pressure. And one of the very first things that we think about is, where are we starting and where are we going? We're starting here. We're starting there. Where are we going? I'll race you to the car. I'll race you to the fence. I'll race you around the track. I'll race you to the end of the field. I'll race you to the neighbor's mailbox. Once we have those things down, though, where are we starting? Where, where are we running to? Where are we racing to? The moment of pressure arrives, and that is the going. On your mark, get set, go. And that moment is tense. Everybody's lined up and ready to go. And that moment is tense because, because everybody who's ever run in a race, whether it's in, been in the backyard or in the neighborhood or in PE class, everybody knows that, that getting off to a good start, getting out fast is the most important thing. It's why the PE teacher says, don't go until you hear the gun. Or I'm going to say, on your mark, get set, and then I'll blow my whistle, and you can go. The dad in the backyard says, now everyone, hold on, hold on. Don't start until I say go. And then, inevitably, at least in my home, and, and even when I was a kid, there's always that person, that, that child that, that jumps out ahead, and everyone goes, wait a second, they got a head start. She, she started before you said go. Wait, I wasn't ready. Pressure, tension at the beginning of the race because everybody knows that the key to a good race is when that word go is said that you are off and running. On your mark, get set, go. The book of Acts is an action-packed book. It, it's full of events, and it begins with this, this commission, Luke's commission. You'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. Th th those verses right there, they tell us where we're going, and they tell us how we're going to get there. And now that we know those things, we're ready for the word, go. We're anxious to get going. And whenever Acts chapter 1 is preached about, most often what I've heard preached about, and most often what I've preached about, is, is being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Is, is getting that Holy Spirit power. And in doing so, in wanting to, to get the going right, we miss the, the command that Jesus gives right at the beginning of this book. And in fact, it's, it's the only command that Luke references in his gospel or in the book of Acts post the cross. And it's not the command to go. It's not the command to witness. It's not the command to, to grab a hold of that power. It's a surprising command. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, 
Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, and here he's just setting up the narrative for the book of Acts, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. But wait. We normally preach about verses 7. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We normally preach about you will receive power, verse 8, from the Holy Spirit. But before any of those moments, the command, the only actually word that is a command in the Greek is the word wait. On your mark, get set, wait. We as a community, we as the human race, don't like to wait. That's why I want to spend a whole sermon talking about waiting. Christian waiting. It is something that we don't do well. I don't wait well. Probably many of you don't wait well. And with each passing generation, I think waiting becomes more and more difficult. As we move more and more into an age of, of technological immediacy, waiting becomes a challenge. I remember the days when I was okay waiting for AOL to go, you've got mail. Now, if I have to wait 10 seconds for my mail to come up, I get frustrated. I remember the days when, when you had to, in, if you were going to, to reach someone, a friend locally or further away, you oftentimes had to wait to hear back from them. It was rare that you could call your friend's house and they could talk to you immediately. In some cases, they didn't have an answering machine, and so you'd have to wait a little while and, and then call back. At other times, their, their brother or sister was on the line and and they would pick up the call waiting and they say hello and and then you'd say can I talk to so and so and they said no I'm on the other line can I have them call you back and you'd have to wait and sometimes you'd wait for days to have someone call you back I remember when you used to send the letter and you would wait three or four days and that letter would arrive at your friends and then you'd expect them three or four days later for another for the letter to arrive back to you and after a week or maybe eight or ten days you would start getting anxious as in, why haven't I heard back from my friend, especially if it was a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? But waiting was something that we had to do. Some of you probably even remember the times when it wasn't a few hours or a few days of waiting, but, but, it, was, but it was weeks and months maybe even of waiting to hear back from those that you love. But nowadays... If I get an email or a text or a direct message or an instant message or a Snapchat, I'm expected to email, text, DM, IM, snap back 
immediately or else there's a problem. People immediately have emotions about this. They get angry. I emailed them earlier today and I haven't heard back. I texted them just a few hours ago and I haven't heard back. Some people get hurt. Maybe I'm not important enough for them to respond to me. Some people worry, did I do something to upset them? I, I see that they got my message. I, I see the little check mark in Instagram that says my message has been seen. Why have they not responded? And this doesn't happen over a matter of hours or, or days, but, but this literally happens in a matter of seconds or minutes. I texted them, why haven't I heard back? Immediacy. We don't wait well. Let me tell you something. We don't wait well as church leaders either. We know the commission that God has called us to. We, we know the mission that he has sent us out on. And, and sometimes rather than waiting, we pick up the next book to tell us how to do that job better. Uh, something's not working right. Rather than, than waiting on the Lord, we, we, we go to the next church growth conference or we, we come up with the next catchy slogan. We, we don't wait well. Waiting is so important. I draw our attention to this idea of waiting on the Lord because this is also an important discipline of being a follower of God. This week in my Bible reading, I actually was reading in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Lamentations. And, and in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And then, of course, the famous text in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. This is part of being a faithful Christian waiting upon the Lord. The famous and often misappropriated text in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future, plans to prosper you and to give you hope and a future in Jeremiah chapter 29. And, and nowadays that, 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 that text is appropriated to immediate action, I know the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so we take that as a, as a call to go out there and charge the earth and, and, and to accomplish whatever we think it is we're supposed to accomplish. But actually that text is in the context of waiting. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. What were the 
prophets and the diviners declaring. They were saying, the Lord's going to deliver you soon. The Lord's going to take you back to Jerusalem soon. Then look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Verse 11 is a response to waiting. The diviners were saying, God's going to come and take care of all this. And the Lord's saying, just settle down. Wait on me. And after 70 years, I'll come and take care of it. Waiting is a, is a discipline, is a calling for believers in God. Jesus himself waited. As we read the Bible, as we study the Bible, we see that Jesus, just at the age of 12 years old, understood his role. He went to Passover with his, with his earthly parents, and, and as he looked upon the lamb who was being slain, he realized that that was a metaphor for his own life. He was the lamb that was to be slain for humanity. He knew his mission. He knew where the race began, and he knew where the race ended. His mother said to him, where have you been? When she finally found him, and he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He knew his mission. And yet, listen to this, and yet, for the next 18 years of his life, we have no information. Not until Luke chapter 3 and verse 23, in which the Bible says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. 12 years old, he knows his mission, waits 18 years, and he begins his ministry. Mary was affirmed. There's a story in the Scriptures about two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary, the Bible tells us, waited at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was doing, busy doing many things. And Mary is affirmed for waiting on Jesus. Waiting for Jesus. And now to the followers of Jesus post the cross, to, to, to the first church, Jesus lift up, lifts up his hands and says, On your mark, get set, wait. Wait. Waiting is important. It's important because we don't do it well. Waiting is important because it's a, a key practice of being a Christian. Waiting for God to guide and God to direct. But waiting is also important, I think, for us as Seventh-day Adventists. Because as Seventh-day Adventists, we see our prophetic role in the history of humankind. We see in the book of Revelation the plans of history and how they unfold. And we see ourselves within those plans for history. Tony Campolo, the Baptist minister, sociologist, and social activist, said this, about Seventh-day Adventists. He said, Seventh-day Adventists have forgotten more about the book of Revelation than the rest of us knew in the first place. Man, that is a statement that will go right to the old Seventh-day Adventist head. 
They've forgotten more about the book of Revelation than the rest of us knew in the first place. He was, he was talking about the broader Christian group. He's saying, Adventists know more about what's happening in the last days, about what's happening in the end times, than we knew. They've forgotten more about that than we knew in the first place. Which is why we need to hear this command from Jesus post-cross. Wait. Think about this. The disciples had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They had been his students. He was their rabbi. They referred to him as teacher and rabbi. They had observed in the flesh his miracles. They had observed in, in the flesh his power over the wind and the waves. They had observed in the flesh Jesus raise people from the dead. They had been taught by the master teacher. After taking a class from Jesus on ministry, Jesus sent them out two by two to do ministry in the communities. They weren't just students of Jesus, and they weren't just observers of Jesus. They, they were his companions. They slept where he slept. They ate where he ate. They, they, they relaxed where he relaxed. And after Jesus died and was raised back to life again, he went straight back to those same disciples, and for 40 more days, Jesus gave them further instructions. He drilled into them once again his truths and his purpose and, and their mission. It could be said of the disciples, as Tony Campolo said of the Adventists, that they have forgotten more about Jesus than the rest of us knew in the first place. In fact, isn't it written in one of the Gospels that even more could be written about Jesus, but, but there is not enough paper in the world to write all the things about Jesus. The disciples forgot more about Jesus than the rest of us have known in the first place. And yet, even with all this knowledge, Jesus said, on your mark, get set, wait. Why? Because the challenge, the challenge is not about having enough knowledge to share with people. The challenge is in having the authority and the power to make that knowledge worthwhile. And that comes from waiting on the Lord. On your mark, get set, wait. It's not normally what we think about when we read the book of Acts. We think about, go be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. But before all that starts, wait. So what does that mean for us? And I want to apply this. I want to apply what waiting should look like for us as believers now in 2021. Because we can go out and apply waiting any way we like, and we can use it as, as an excuse for all kinds of things. But what, what, is, what does the Bible teach us that, that waiting is? Well, straight from this text, if we go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 again, it begins this way. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. The first point I want to make about Christian waiting is that we need to be waiting in the right place. 
waiting in the place that, that Jesus told us to wait. Jesus told them very specifically to wait in Jerusalem. The, the verses I referenced earlier from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, Jesus told the Israelites, for 70 years you just need to wait in Babylon. Jesus, when he was a child, he waited in his dad's carpenter shop until he went out to begin his ministry. The disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem. We need to be waiting in the right place, and that is not the place of our choosing. There, there's, there's so many places to wait in this world, and we can wait in a place that is distracting us from God's mission. We can wait in places that, that, that lead us into temptation. We can wait in places that, that we're comfortable with, but it's not where God can, can reach us the most. We need to make sure where we're waiting is the place where God wants us to be. The second aspect of waiting is that we need to wait for the right thing. This is really important. Our waiting has a focus. Our waiting has a focus. In other words, waiting is not just sitting back. It's, it's a mental engagement. It has a, has a focus, and we're waiting for the right thing. Many times, Christians use the idea of waiting to excuse the wrong things. Let's, let's be honest about this. We, we sometimes say we're waiting on the Lord to rationalize or excuse sins. I was once dating a girl that I knew that I shouldn't be dating. And you know what I said to people, even when someone asked me about it, well, do you think you should really be dating that girl? I said, well, I'm praying about it. And I'm waiting for the Lord to give me clarity. Based on what was going on in that relationship, I knew from this book what the Lord already wanted for me. I was waiting to rationalize my sin. The person who says, well, I'm waiting for the God to show me whether or not I'm supposed to be in this job or not. Yes, the job calls me to compromise my beliefs, my ethics, my values, the commandments of God, but I'm, but I'm praying and I'm waiting for the Lord to show me whether or not He wants me in this job. If, if, if the job calls you to compromise your beliefs, your values, your ethics, and the commandments of God, then God's already given you the answers in this book. We oftentimes are waiting on the wrong things. We wait to rationalize what we already know we should not be doing. Sometimes we wait to avoid doing that which we know we should do. We, we wait as a rationalization almost for our, our laziness. I'm waiting until I find the right church. Then I'll serve. I'm waiting until I get my spiritual gifts inventory back and then I can better understand how I can serve and, I'll, and then I'll become active. I'm waiting until the pastor inspires me and then I will, in, I will go and join a small group or start attending a good Sabbath school. I'm waiting until I like the ministries and I believe the ministries are doing the right things and then I will give my tithes and my offerings. We're waiting, we're, we're using the excuse of waiting to justify not doing that which we know we should do. The Bible addresses all those issues as well. 
waiting on the right thing is this. It's not so much instruction or mission. The disciples had their mission to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not so much waiting on, on discovering where the finish line is. The disciples knew where the finish line was. The Bible said, the, the angel said to the disciples, why are you looking up, waiting here? Jesus will return in the same way that he went. Now go. And in verse 12 it says, and they went back to Jerusalem. Jesus had his mission. He was going to die for the sins of the world. So waiting is not so much about the mission or the direction. That's all in this book, folks. What we are waiting on is the power, the Holy Spirit power. We have the answers in the Bible. What we need is the power. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised you which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Later on, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Waiting for the right thing. So our eyes have to be open and focused on that right thing. We know the mission we know the instruction, maybe not some of the minutia, but the, but the big picture we know. So we're waiting on the power. Third, what does waiting look like? What is the activity of waiting? Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Waiting is praying. Seeking the right thing we are waiting for by praying for it. As William Willimon wrote in his commentary, gathering, is to, gathering to wait and to pray are depicted as two primary activities of a faithful church. I'd say they are actually activities that are one and the same. To pray without waiting is presumptuous, and to wait without praying is avoidance, and both are sins. Praying and waiting are one in the same. When we are waiting as Christians, we need to be praying Focusing on that thing which God has called us to ask for. The power of the Holy Spirit. So we wait where God calls us to wait. We wait for the right thing. Not to excuse the wrong thing. We wait actively. Because waiting is praying. Waiting is not sitting there watching the TV and hope God shows up and tells me what to do. Waiting is actively seeking the Spirit and praying. And finally, the fourth point about waiting that I like to make is this. That waiting is not an isolated 
activity. It is not a loner activity. I loved what Costin said in his children's story last week, Pastor Jordash. He said that the book of Acts shows us that so many things we do as a community, so many things we do as a church are better when we do them together. And waiting is no different. What does it say? They, that's speaking of all the disciples I named just a few seconds ago, all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They all joined together. Waiting is best done in community. With your small group, with your family, with neighbors, with your Sabbath school class, waiting is best done in community. We wait where God calls us to wait. In that place we can be focused on Him. Not maybe always the most convenient or the most comfortable, but where He calls us to be. We wait for the right thing, not to excuse the wrong thing. We wait actively because waiting is praying, and we discover that the best type of waiting is with other believers, waiting and praying together. Yes, we are to go as witnesses. Yes, we are to continue the story of the book of Acts in our time, in our place, in this world. But before we go, let us remember Jesus' instruction on your mark, get set, and wait. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you remind us in this story right now that, that before we do any mission, we have to wait on you. That, that the knowledge that we have will have no value unless it has power from our time of waiting. That the mission that we are to go on will have no success unless it has, has authority from our time in waiting upon you, Lord. Blessed are those who wait upon the Lord, who seek the Lord. Blessed are those who, who wait upon the Lord because they will be renewed with strength. Lord, may we be a people that know how to wait. To wait faithfully until you say, now go. In your name we pray. Amen.